Hello, everyone. This is Premier Chess CEO, National Master Evan Rabin. I am very excited to be here on episode 236 of the Premier Chess Podcast, where every week we interview great chess professionals, business coaches, attorneys, other entrepreneurs, many others who have found their passion in whatever it is uh, that they do. Uh, this week, we have a colleague, uh, Robert Kern, uh, who I've known for a couple of years through uh, BNI Business Networking International. Uh, he is a business attorney. Uh, he has his BA in political science and government from Northwestern University and a JD in University of Chicago. Uh, so uh, Robert uh, primarily focuses uh, in business uh, law. Uh, he works as a counsel at Master Griffiths uh, Avador. Uh, how's everything going today? It's going very well. I mean, a lot of, still a little, a lot of mosquito bite type emails to respond to as opposed to big things, which sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but today that's, it's all good. Okay, amazing. Yeah, and, you know, catching up with, with email, of course, could be, you know, difficult and, uh, you know, getting like, you know, a crazy email from a client could always be, uh, you know, a, a little bit uh, <laughs> challenging. Um, so, yeah, I guess, um, you know, to, to start out, uh, you know, tell us the, a little bit more about yourself, you know, how you got uh, started in, in, in law and, uh, you know, sort of how you got to, uh, you know, where you are today. Sure. I'll give you the the quick journey. So I'm originally from Chicago. As my uh, sort of the little uh, peak of my resume, uh, <laughs> if hinted at, um, I came out here in 90, 1993, started a big law firm called Strook and Strook and Lavin. Um, I then ended up after a year and a half, my mentor left and went to the school construction authority. I worked there for about a year. Um, actually, I'll take a step back. I, after about a year and a half, I initially was a litigator. I then became a corporate attorney. Uh, I just found my philosophy was more about uh, not a win-lose scenario where there's a winner and a loser, but somehow having a scenario where, in theory, when the transaction works out, everybody gets what they want. So I switched to corporate, uh, was there for another year and a half. Then I went to the School Construction Authority. Then I went to a place called Moses and Singer, where I was there for 14 years, became a partner. During the last economic downturn, the Great Recession of 2008, they laid off a number of the limited uh, partners, myself included. I then had my own solo practice for a number of years. Um, I, after that, I went to a boutique firm called Handball the Chin, where I learned the, the art of fashion law and uh, licensing and other IP-related things. Um, I then ended up at a bigger firm, a regional firm called Rivkin Radler, uh, doing straight up corporate work. And uh, after uh, things financially, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just cut to the chase. They, they sort of butts with my compensation. I ended up here at Mastor Griffiths in Avador. Uh, we are a smaller boutique firm. We represent startups. We do you know, corporate work, up, uh, equity work for startups. We do their general corporate work. We do M&A work. Uh, we also, within that space, we do have, and this is where the old dog had to learn some new tricks, 
uh, uh, not all of our clients, but a number of our clients are in the crypto NFT and uh, DAO space. So I've had to, you know, learn the sort of, in, in spite of the wild west of it, there are some law, there are laws and regs to understand regarding those items. And we also do entertainment and cannabis law. So I, I dabble in a lot of different things, but I've been practicing law uh, since 1994. So it's been 28 years now, an attorney. So yeah, you've definitely been at it for you know quite a while. Uh, you know, good good for you. And uh, you know, you've been doing uh, you know kind of the the good and bad and ugly. Uh, you know, for a while. Um, so the first thing I wanted to, you know, ask about, uh, you know, kind of, uh, look, I, I worked for uh, major corporations in the past. I worked at, you know, Oracle for three years. I worked at Rapid7 for a year uh, doing enterprise sales uh, before I started uh, Premier Chess full time five years ago. Now we're obviously doing, uh, you know, quite a bit working in 80 schools, you know, Google, Citigroup, uh, other major corporations, uh, you know, as well. But um, you know, you also, uh, you know, worked, uh, you know, for major law firms, you know, now you're working for like a smaller firm, but, um, also for uh, several years, you, you know, had your own, you know, law office. Um, so what, what made you sort of, uh, you know, go back into, uh, you know, working for a firm, you know, rather than, uh, you know, doing your own thing? I think part of it was, uh, you know, to be honest, I was not, I, w I sort of did that. I don't want to say on the fly, but I, I really didn't set out a good business plan. I didn't really go into my own practice with sort of uh, this a business plan and agenda. Um, also, corporate practice is a little tougher to translate on a solo practice basis. And what I mean by that is you can be the best attorney, but there is a little bit of brand recognition. And there's also a little bit of uh, it's it, you're not going to get a lot of uh, big transactions, right? If, unless you already have a client relationship. When I left, I had a few client relationships, but not enough to su sufficiently sustain my solo practice. So in the end, I, I learned a lot about obtaining clients during that time and what I needed and what I didn't have. But, you know, I ended up getting as the actual clients, a lot of one-off clients. Mm. So like a one-off client is great for the two hours. Like if someone's like, hey, can you review this contract for me? And then it's like, okay, I reviewed the contract. Here are the comments. Negotiated. Maybe it takes two, one, two, three hours tops of time. They pay me and then I never hear from them again, right? Um, so that's work that's you get paid for, but you got to do a bunch of those. You got to do those in volume. Um, the ideal client for a corporate person is you get the corporate, the, the entity, the corporation. Mm. Um, ideally from the start, even as a startup, you, you uh, develop a relationship from the beginning. And as the company grows, there's sort of the bread and butter work or the meat and potatoes work, the, the contracts, the terms of service, contracts with vendors, employment agreements, things like that. And then if it's a certain type of client, they're growing by bringing in investors, then you're also doing their equity rounds. You're doing their equity documents. You, so 
those are the big transactions or, or, you know, and then if they bring in enough money and they acquire a company, if they start doing M&A work, those are the big ticket items. But in between, you get the bread and butter work and you've developed a relationship such that, you know, you're doing their IP, you're doing their employment agreements, you're doing all those other things. And then that becomes a sustainable client. So that is that, that, that important point, you know, you want to, uh, you know, kind of look, not avoid one offs. You know, I always tell people all the time, you know, I'll, look, I'll, I'll take business. Uh, you know, I right. honestly have a hard time, you know, turning down, you know, business, you know, often um, at the end of the day, if someone wants a single chess lesson, OK, no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll do it, you know. Right. Uh, but of course, our, our goal is to, you know, have partnerships. Uh, people exactly. often reach out to me, you know, just saying, oh, how much do your, you know, lessons cost? And I say, well, let's get on a phone call. Say, oh, could you just tell me like the cost? I'm like, no, we're not a transactional company. You know, we're trying to figure out what you're actually looking for, what your goals are. You know, most of our, you know, corporate and, and school and individual clients have been working with us for, you know, several years now. Uh, in one case, actually, one of our uh, alumni of, of Grace Church School is actually, uh, you know, teaching for us now. Uh, you know, he's in college now, and, uh, you know, which is which is just great. You know, we see a, yeah. a, a long a long relationship and, uh, you know, have a few others alumni that are starting to, you know, maybe work for us, uh, you know, in, in, in the near future. So, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, 100 um, percent. But uh so yeah, look, relationship building is uh, obviously important. I've, you know, for instance, known you, you know, personally for yeah. a few years now. Uh, you know, I was thinking about each other and you know whatnot. Um, you know, we've obviously some common connections, including uh, another great uh, attorney, Gary Ireland, who's been on the podcast before. Uh, you know, who who does employment law. So, uh, well, you know, with uh, of, I was just gonna say, speaking of contacts, just to give you contact and how contacts work and how BNI works. So Jeremy Sherry, you also know. So the way I got this current job was because Jeremy Sherry was doing some uh, architect work here and spoke with the managing partner. And again, the firm I'm currently at has about 14 attorneys, but he was speaking to the managing partner and they said they were looking for someone. Jeremy reached out to me and you know, that's how I ended up here. So, you know, it's it, relationships are awesome, but it's the payoffs that's also uh, even more awesome in the context of networking. It's like, you know, and that's not really so much a, a piece of closed business as that relationship changed, uh, you know, met my career needs and changed my career tra trajectory. So, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, you, you never know. Um, and yeah, Jeremy, uh, not only is a, a friend, but, uh, you know, actually sort of a client as well. His kids are actually at one of our school programs at uh, St. Demetrio's in Queens. Uh, yep. I know, actually. So um, just saw him actually uh, on Monday. So, um, you know, see him always every week now. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, you know, look, I, several other of my great uh you know podcast guests i've met through uh you know b and i more than i could count you know jennifer wilcom if i happened to message a few minutes ago who does like right. marketing you know for instance uh obviously the first of mine because i happened to message her about something uh you know like a minute before we started recording uh so yeah i mean it's uh 
yeah, I mean, I met uh, a lot of people through networking and, uh, you know, continue to do so uh, like almost every day. So, uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to get, uh, you know, a little bit more into, you know, your, your actual practice. Um, so, uh, you know, for one thing that I've, you know, found a lot is, you know, people know, you know, kind of what attorneys do, uh, but not, you know, kind of like behind the scenes, you know, and I know you're, uh, you know, working with, uh, you know, a bunch of small, medium uh, businesses, um, you know, can, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the actual work that you do? Sure. So it really comes in stages, you know, and I'll use the term startup. Um there's really two ways of looking at startup. I'll call it the lowercase startup and the uppercase startup. Uh, lowercase startup is anyone starting a business. Could be mom and pop, pizza place. Could be you starting your uh, your uh, premier chess. But what we do is more uppercase startup, which is there's sort of uh, people, uh, and sometimes you have a serial investor or a serial founder. Someone decides they want to start a company. Or, or, you know, they paired with, usually a lot of our clients, they paired with someone who is the technology person. They've got the new widget or they're developing some new software. Or, you know, we have a client that uh, builds drones. Um, and so they start the company, maybe they started organically, but they're, if there's, if, uh, you know, one of the things I always say is when you're starting a company, you need to, have an accountant, an attorney, and probably a good insurance person. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but at some point they decide, oh, we need an attorney. Um, and they'll reach out to us. And maybe they decided at the beginning, they haven't even formed the company yet. So they'll talk to us about what kind of entity to form, whether it's a limited liability company or a corporation. And we'll talk to them in that context about, well, are you going to be bringing investors in or are you going to grow organically and just grow off revenues? Um, usually if you're bringing investors in, investors are more comfortable, though not exclusively comfortable with a corporation. And usually that's a Delaware corporation. Um, then, you know, they may have they they may already have some people lined up who may be investing and early investing is often in the form of um convertible notes or things called safes, which are uh, simple agreements for future equity. The idea is there's not uh, not stock being issued directly with those purchases, uh, but you can get money in and those, those, whether it's a convertible note or a safe, will convert at some later date when you actually do an offering into stock. So it's a way to get money in quickly and not have to spend a lot of legal fees uh, but that's one, you know, one thing we often deal with at the front end. Uh, when they're ready to have an investor come in, um, and again, all, most of our clients we represent on the corporation side, but we do represent some investors. But if they've been approached or reached out and they have an investor come in, then there's a whole negotiation that takes place. There's a term sheet. Usually the investor wants what's called preferred stock. Um, the preferred stock has certain rights that are above and beyond common stock. If you think of common stock as plain vanilla, uh, preferred stock is Rocky Road, and it, it and it, it's also it, that it's 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 not even Rocky Road because that implies that's one type of flavor. It's uh, do-it-yourself ice cream. You make 
the, the investor says, I want a board seat, I want this kind of preferred return, I want to have this conversion right. And there's a back and forth between the lawyers negotiating that with the business people. And then once the terms are worked out, the lawyers are kind of the, you know, the, the people who actually make the sausage, right? So once we know what the term sheet says and what the preferred stock needs to look like and how much price per share, and uh, we, we then implement that, we amend their corporate documents to create that, we draft purchase agreements, et cetera. And then going forward, we sort of, uh, along with the company, uh, we are the keeper of the cap table, the capitalization table. So we make sure the company knows they have enough authorized stock. They know who the stockholders are. Um, and in that context, there's things also like stock option plans get created because uh, stock options, again, a startup often doesn't have a lot of money. So they may pay their employees, not in full, but in lieu of, they may pay less salary, but they may give options to their employees, which is, you know, a, gives them a preferred right to buy at a later date shares of the company. Sometimes there's restricted stock. Again, those are things that are sort of done often in the interim or at the beginning. But again, a, a lot of this, as you were talking about earlier, you build relationships. So there might be different rounds, several different rounds of investors. At some point, the company has an exit strategy. Hmm. And, that, and that exit strategy may be, you know, it may be like when I talk about the mom and pop, the mom and pop may never need an investor and they're just making money selling pizza and their exit strategy is uh, they're going to bequeath their shares or their company to their their kids who are going to take over the pizza place, you know, when they pass away. But with a company with investors, the startups we traditionally deal with, that company may want to, uh, one exit strategy is to be bought. Um and then at some point, as you sort of are mature enough, you people are paying attention, whether they're private equity funds or competitors might start looking at you as potential acquisition. Um, you may want to just keep growing and go public, um, you know, uh, and then there's also the, you know, preferred stockholders. A lot of times if you're the founder, you may be happy with your company just growing to a certain point, but the preferred stockholders, let's be honest, is as good a preferred stockholder as you get. Ultimately, they want to return on their investment and you're in, they're investing in a private company. So you either have to sell that company, take it public or somehow give them a stream of income, either buy them out or give them dividends to make them happy. So, again, this is sort of the life cycle and it's sort of looking behind the scenes. Um, this is what we are involved in, and um, both in the negotiation and the drafting. But ultimately, when you build enough trust and you know the company well enough, you become, in essence, a business consultant. A client starts calling you and asking you questions about just, well, should we do this? Or what do you think of this? You know, and depending on what the company's business is involved in, you become a mini expert in that. If they're uh, doing drones, you suddenly start to learn about, and they're selling things overseas. Doing drones, you start to learn export law. You know that applies to them. If there's a, they're dealing, you know, issuing tokens that are somehow tied to carbon credits. You start to learn about the European Union carbon credit, uh, you know, uh, 
protocols so that you understand how that will uh, can be translated into the token they're offering. Things like that. You uh, you become a mini specialist as you, you as you develop a relationship in what the company does, and if you know that that attracts other companies in a similar space, suddenly you become a specialist in a given industry. You know. Fashion law and entertainment law is just corporate law in the fashion and entertainment spaces. So, you know, you know, and then, you know, if you be, if you become, if suddenly you're doing a bunch of business for companies in the aeronautical space, you're suddenly an aeronautical attorney. So, but I will pause and take a breath and let you comment. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, that, that that's all important, uh, you know, especially entrepreneurs uh, don't necessarily know, uh, you know, how to get started and people will, you know, often look up things online, things like that, that uh, you know, kind of just not know like what to do. Um, you know, I, when, when I started prepared. Google is my biggest, com I, I often say Google is my biggest competitor for better or worse. You know, and, 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 and it's true, you know, I, I you know, I, I myself, right, people say, oh, I, I learned this opening online, or, you know, this is what my, my thoughts are, and I'm like, no, you're hiring, you know, us, uh, you know, for coaching, you know, for, for a reason. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, very similar. I mean, you know, perfect. Perfect example is, you know, someone might go on Google, find a form agreement, right? And they may change the name. They, they find an agreement they think works. They change the name. They fill in the dollar amount. They sign it with the counterparty. They stick it in a drawer. That agreement may be the completely wrong agreement, right? But if the parties are paying each other the proper amounts and the services are being received, no one's, no one cares, right? But when people care is when that agreement gets pulled out of the drawer um, and, you know, now there's a signed agreement that's the wrong agreement um, and now there's a dispute over that and, it, it you know, a, a simple call to a lawyer or even just having a quick five-minute chat would have avoided a bigger problem. Um, and likewise, the other thing people should be aware of is when you do that, often the problem might be, it's not just when things go wrong, it's when things go really well, you know? <laughs> like, let's say I, um, uh, you need money, Kevin, and I I send you an email, and there's just a series of emails, and I wire, I send you $100,000, but it's not clear you think that I've loaned you $100,000 at 15% interest, and I think I've, paid you $100,000 to buy 15% of your company. Hmm. Um, let's say your company then gets sold for $100 million. You know, there's a big difference between you paying me, you know, $100,000 plus 15% interest and me getting $15 million if I think I own 15% of the company. And again, that doing things without an, an agreement just by a handshake or by emails and not papering things, um, you know, can come back to haunt people as well. So, yeah, well, I, again, I, I think that's important. And, uh, you know, look, I, I myself, you know, for instance, you know, must admit, you know, we started Premier Jets 
we uh you know i i, I went on legal zoom and then uh you know uh, the next morning i woke up and uh i was like wow we have a company um yep. you know the, the first time i i did start a, a business uh pillar sales which represented uh you know software uh companies uh you know we did actually use uh, a business attorney in, in massachusetts where we you know started uh, the company. And I said, uh, you know, look, you know, frankly, it's not necessary. Now, I probably shouldn't say that, uh, you know, to, to a business attorney, but no, uh, I'm not, no, yeah. I but, but hey, at the same time, you know, the, 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 the only reason I, I do bring this up, you know, actually is, um, you know, for you, you know, what, what would you tell like, you know, a, a new entrepreneur that just, you know, wants to do everything on their own, you know, like, why, why is it so, you know, frankly, important to, uh, I, you know, to go for someone like yourself. No, I, I would say this. Um, and I get, I'll start with, I understand, you know, absent a new entrepreneur having a lot of money, either from family, from their own efforts, maybe they've done, it. again, new entrepreneur, we're talk, not talking about a serial entrepreneur. It's usually someone who's at this for the first time. The serial entrepreneur it's not their first rodeo um, and they know what works for them. But a new entrepreneur, you know, what they need to think about, uh, one, one of the first things you need to think about, and, and I'm very sensitive about is cost. I get it. Um, but you want to form an entity. You can use LegalZoom. I don't have a problem with LegalZoom at all. Um, I wouldn't go with like if you formed a limited liability company. I would probably say if you're going to have more than one member, I would go with their operating agreement form. Um, you might want to talk to a lawyer about that. But if you're just going to be initially form an entity and it's going to be your entity and you're going to be the hundred percent owner initially, um, do that because it gives you liability protection. You know, and particularly liability protection, you need to think about that. If you're running a restaurant, there's all sorts of liability protection. You may have food poisoning. Someone may slip and fall. If you're running a, you know, a consulting company doing computer programming, your exposure may not be as high. But then again, let's say you're dealing with data or cybersecurity issues. There may be some component of that. So knowing what your risk portfolio profile is and Creating an entity gives you some protection. Looking into insurance, and again, you might not need it right out the bat, but insurance having having insurance that covers your business, or at least understanding the insurance uh, that is necessary for your business, is important from the beginning. Um, I would say, in terms of you know going to an attorney, having Knowing someone like me, there are attorneys like me who are happy to talk five, 10 minutes, answer some questions. You know, you can look up an agreement and say, hey, is this okay? But at some point, and it's a hard, it's hard to say, like, I don't want to be giving away the secret sauce, or I don't want to be dive the death by a thousand paper cuts, you know? If there comes a point, and usually the, the entrepreneur knows it, when they're starting to get into a place where it's above their pay grade. And I, even though money is always an issue, they're, think of bringing an attorney into the uh, picture at that point as an investment. You're, 
you know, much like I was talking about insurance or forming an entity to protect you, having an attorney looking over your shoulder in the very least is a form of insurance and it's a form of investment. Um, now, you know, part of this, I would also say get into groups. There are lots of groups you can get into, uh, whether they're chat groups or, you know, entrepreneurial groups online. I'm not going to name any because there's many of them. Um, there are websites, law firms that have, most law firms, I'll be honest, don't have good websites. All right. But there's a good one. Wilson Sensini has a great website. Um, if you look at their website, they have a lot of free information and documents for entrepreneurs. Um, there is a great blog. It's an old blog. There are others, but a friend of mine from law school, uh, Yokum Taku, was a startup lawyer blog, and he started it many years ago. That that's a good source of information. And I guess again, absent talking to an attorney, vetting your sources of information. You know, because if you just do a Google search, you're going to get the top item search. The top item search is not necessarily. It should be, but it's not necessarily always the right answer. So rather than engaging in cocktail talk, you know, you have fellow entrepreneurs you might know, and someone will tell you this, that, that's a good, those are good resources, but, uh, you know, ultimately vet your resources. You know, you, you know, just because someone says when you get together with them that you should do X doesn't mean, because X worked for them doesn't mean X works for you. Um, I know I'm sort of talking in somewhat abstractions, but you know, I get I get the gist of new entrepreneurs. Like there is a cost. You know, lawyers cost money. Or you know, lawyers generally don't get paid in equity. Lawyers usually uh, in the transactional setting don't take a fee percentage. We get paid on an hourly basis. So there is a way to. It's not so much avoid lawyers, but to Get comfortable as you move forward and get advice. Um, and then eventually when you're ready and you have the budget, you can implement, uh, you know, hiring an attorney. Hmm. Yeah. And I respect that. And I do think that, uh, you know, it's important to, uh, you know, be a preemptive, right. And, uh, you know, maybe put up more resources uh, in the beginning to not have, uh, problems later. Uh, of course, Anatoly Karpov, uh, a former world champion, was uh, known for, you know, playing Karpovian moves, you know, that were, <laughs> uh, you know, preemptive that, uh, you know, might not make, you know, 100% sense, you know, actually to uh, you know, a beginner because they, uh, you know, kind of prevented uh, problems before they, you know, actually came up. Uh, but actually they were, uh, you know, something that inspired, uh, you know, many, uh, you know, grandmasters and class players alike, uh, you know, in, in, in later years. So, uh, so speaking of which, uh, you know, we have had, uh, you know, Gary and many other, uh, great attorneys, uh, on the podcast of various, uh, uh, areas, uh, of, of law, uh, but uh, could, could you talk a, a little bit about how uh, you think, uh, you know, chess might be, uh, you know, somewhat useful, uh, you know, in, in, in law? 
Oh, absolutely. In fact, you'll love this because we may even, uh, uh, I may even reach out to you separate from this. So our managing attorney, we now, uh, about a month ago, we now have two chess boards in the office and, wow. and we're playing, you know, we're just, People are just taking turns making moves, um, and it's just I haven't. Uh, my initial involvement in chess was many, many moons ago. I was on like grade school chess team, and then I just played it for pleasure for years. Um, I got my chessboard at home, but the fact that these just popped back up was sort of reawakened my interest. And then you know, also you coming and visiting our BNI chapter a couple maybe a month ago, it just got my me move my brain moving again about chess um i think in the transactional context what chess helps you do well, a lot of what we do is negotiate mm. and and a lot of negotiation is about give and take heading towards an ultimate outcome right so when you identify the outcome <clears throat> moves where you much like in chess there may be things you're willing to lose upon to gain, uh, uh, you know, take a bigger piece, or ultimately uh, get, uh, you know, put put the opponent's king in check, or ultimate, and ultimately checkmate. Now there is a win lose aspect to chess, um, but and again in the transaction, the difference is if I'm buying your company and we negotiate the documents um, and the agreement at the end of the day you get money from me and I own your company and I'm happy with what I bought and you're happy with the money you've gotten. So it's a win-win situation. But the reality is within that negotiation process, there are moves to make. There are, you can have set up straw men, you know, like you can give a point that really isn't important to you, but you know, or may suspect that it's important to the other side in order to get another point accepted, you know? Um, so I think the strategy and the, the, the mental, you know, visioning, envisioning moves, several moves forward, that's ultimately a skill that I think, uh, uh, an aspect of chess, I should say, that is very beneficial for transaction attorneys. Um, you know, you don't want to play speed chess. You want to, you know, sometimes the transaction feels like speed chess, but you want to slow things down just enough so that you know not just what the next move is going to be, but what the next few moves are going to be. Um, you know, and I guess the only other difference, but it's just the difference uh, without uh, uh, of degree is there's a third there's a, a third and fourth player because you're playing chess with the attorney on the other side. When you're negotiating, but each of us is we attorneys are attorneys don't act on their own. We're we act on behalf of clients. So in many respects, with each move, we we may have to return to our respective uh, client and seek guidance or explain the next moves to them before we even make the actual move. So, but I I do think chess is a fantastic. Uh, has fantastic applications. Like much like I think I have been involved in improv for years. I think improv is a great skill to have. 
I think the skills and the, the, the mental strength built from chess is very helpful in the context of transactions. Hmm. Yeah, and, and actually speaking of which, uh, you know, I was actually going to, uh, in fact, ask you, I know you, uh, you know, have done a fair amount of improv, and um, I do also happen to know that, uh, you know, a, a lot of attorneys, uh, you know, actually do, uh, you know, improv as uh, I actually, uh, you know, as, as I think you know, we do classes, you know, fairly regularly at Kramer 11. Uh, you know, one of the bigger uh, law firms uh, in the city. And uh, actually, my friend, uh, Lisa Cunningham, a uh, disability attorney who has uh, been on the podcast uh, before, uh, she's actually the one who first got me into uh, the even possibility of, of, of doing classes, uh, you know, at, at law firms. Uh, you know, at, in the beginning, I was doing uh, you know, primarily school programs and corporate cl- and and private lessons, which of course we're still doing. But right. uh, you know, she she said like you know, look on on one hand, I know disability law, uh, in and out. You know, I've been doing it for, you know, already over ten, thirteen, whatever years. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, when she's on trial or deadline, you know, she needs to learn how to you know think on your feet. Uh, and yep. Of course, that's you know the same with you or you know any other uh, attorney, uh, you know some obviously do you know litigation and trials more often than others, but um, you know everyone has like deadlines. So uh, how has uh, like improvisation uh, you know helped you uh, as as an attorney? Well, I, it's helped me both as an attorney and as a person because I was a chronic, and the danger for attorneys is you can try to be a chronic perfectionist. Um. And by chronic perfectionist, I was the kind of person who was like, say I had 10 things on my list to do and I accomplished nine of them, I'd be upset that I hadn't finished the 10th one as opposed to, you know, celebrating the nine I had accomplished. And a lot of that has to do with uh, whether it's in life or in the law. We think of the law as black and white. We think of life as there's an either or. Um, and we also think in terms of life, but also lies. This is the outcome. If we do this, this will happen. And the reality is there are curveballs all the time, both in life and in the law, whether it's litigation or corporate when you're negotiating a transaction. If you are set, if you've already written the story of how things should turn out and you're wedded to that, and something comes along and destroys that outcome or substantially changes it. It's very hard for you to think on your feet and adopt to that situation if you're wedded to a certain outcome. Improv has taught me how to accept, like not fear failure, to follow the fun, but also to follow the fear, but also to realize that when things don't work out, something even better can come from it. And when things don't work out, you can still put together something that, you know, in the improv context, entertains the hell out of people in the room you're in, and you can put it together on the fly. But then having that ability to accept a curveball and then uh, and then take whatever it is that's left and rebuild it and make it into something, you know, something that works in spite of the sort of someone just having 
broken all the dishes for this transaction is a good skill to have. It also goes to legal lawyer temperament. I think when people hire lawyers, they don't want to like some some people won't like that, you know, particularly in litigation context, they might like that a lawyer is a zealous advocate and that, that zealous advocacy might be a lot of yelling and screaming. I think in the transaction setting, you want an even keeled person. And I think having an even keel, um, if you have taken improv and done improv and performed for people and realize that ultimately you can get to a outcome, you know, whenever things change, you can still build something from that. Um, it gives you an even keel and that gives comfort and confidence to your client. And it also calms the situation that suddenly might get out of control. And I guess finally, improv just teaches you to speak, um, to be comfortable with public speaking. I know it's good for litigate, you know, litigation attorneys who stand up and talk in court, but you know, a lot of what I'm doing is I'm often on, you know, these days Zoom calls, but on conference calls where you're going over documents with other lawyers and you're advocating on behalf of your client and suddenly something new might come up. You got to be able to react to it and state your case on the spot. It's not like you have that moment to say, well, I'll, I'll call you back tomorrow and get back to you, you know. So all of these are the reasons why I think having taken improv has been, I've benefited uh, greatly. And by the way, if you want, we're actually, our BNI group is, we're doing an improv session with uh, the Magnet Theater on Saturday. So I don't know what you're doing from three to five, but you're welcome to join us on Saturday. Uh, uh, it, it's it's on, the, on the house, it's, uh, our chapter's paying for it. So you're welcome to join us, Adam, if you want to go to, to have a, two hours of improv class basic improv class oh wow that is uh super cool um yeah definitely a possibility check in uh with the boss the wife <laughs> and by the way congratulations on that i know that the, that that that's awesome thank you thank you and, and and by the way that was uh a little bit like improvisation you know we did it for six weeks and got married in six months so we <laughs> You know, we, we, we trust our instincts, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess that's the last thing I would say, like when you do improv, you learn to trust your your the people on stage. And when you build it, you, you, you learn that you can give them something and they're going to give you something back. Uh, and developing that skill, when it comes to dealing with clients, it helps you, A, when, when the client is good, you build up that relationship, but you also start to hone your 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 antenna when people aren't giving, when people aren't responsive. You kind of go, okay, I'm going to have to be a little wary and you know play my cards a little close to the vest and CYA on this one because this person is not necessarily listening. So yeah, but, and, but uh, enough about it. By the way, I, I, I don't know if I ever told you, but I, I did take uh, back in high school quite a while ago, some improv classes my, myself uh, from uh, Terry Crisco, who uh, is still actually, uh, you know, someone I see all the time at uh, awesome. alumni events. And, uh, you know, I, I really think, uh, you know, in, in that class, Terry, you know, taught, taught me a lot, you know, just uh, 
you know, and I remember like some of the basic concepts, you know, every time someone gives you an offer, you know, you got to take it. <laughs> yep. Yes. Uh, and. Uh, you know, if there's one thing I remember, it's, it's that, you know, but, uh, also just, you know, look, not overthinking of it and, you know, just having a good time and, you know, keeping up the, you know, momentum. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is, you know, important in, uh, you know, jazz law, you know, music, you know, for instance, uh, you know, my good friend, Mike Papa Pablo, uh, you know, has been on the podcast. We talk, you know, all the time about, you know, improvisation, you know, he knows jazz uh yes. you know, very well and and you know he knows his scales and everything but at the end of the day when he's you know jamming out he's just playing guitar you know so and, um, and, and i'll just jump on something you were just you know riff, or riff on something you were just saying like i think it's really important whether it's for everyone but particularly for lawyers but even for entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs can get caught up in their company whether they're going to get the investor in, whether the company's going to survive. Lawyers get caught up in work. It is important that we have outlets, whether that outlet, you know, having a sense of humor, you know, going to an improv show, going to a play, going to a comedy, uh, listening to music, going to a music performance, playing chess, whatever these may be, and whatever benefits you can get that you can add to your life. Independent of all that, the biggest thing you get is you. it gives you an outlet for joy. And I think without that kind of an outlet, uh, you can get overwhelmed very quickly, whether you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, an attorney, you name it. And if there's any last advice I'd give people is, you know, make sure you have some fallback on joy in your life, whether it's your family, a pet, a hobby, um, a game, music, you name it, because too often we get so caught up in what we're doing and then we suddenly start to uh, veer off the track um, and things that give us joy keep us on track. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, joy, joy and happiness are obviously uh, incredibly uh important and uh yeah you know I, I i agree you know i think uh you know look if you don't enjoy what you're doing uh you know that there's an issue uh and uh yeah i think uh you know being able to uh use what you know but also uh you know sort of improvise at the you know the same time it's uh you know in incredibly uh important so um, really, I want to thank you for, you know, taking some time here to talk uh, a little bit about uh, relationship building, uh, advice for new entrepreneurs, uh, applications of chess and, and law, uh, improvisation, uh, you know, and happiness and uh, and, and more. Uh, is there anything yep. else you'd like to add uh, while you're on the podcast today? No, other than thank you. It's, it, it, I, and I just, well, what I will add is many of you are following this whether on the podcast or on Twitch, probably already know how amazing Evan is at connecting people. <laughs> but I just want to attest to that fact um, because Evan's connections go, like Premier Chest is just the starting point that sort of radiates out. So if there's ever a person you should get to know, not just for chess, but just for uh, networking, for connections, for life advice, it's this gentleman right here. And I thank him very much for letting me be on this podcast. Yeah, well, my my sincere pleasure, Bob, and uh, 
you know, you, you really are one of our, you know, great, uh, you know, connections. And, uh, you know, look, one thing I was saying on a networking call to someone that uh, just met yesterday is, uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, we're in some ways not even a chess company. You know, we, we teach business and life skills through chess. Um, 80% of our clients, you know, are actually not, you know, serious chess players. Um, very often I'll, you know, be on networking calls and, you know, I'll, I'll tell them more about, you know, what we do and, and, and so forth, you know, and they'll say, oh, well, I'll, I'll let you know when, uh, you know, I, someone mentions, you know, that they're interested in chess, you know, and I tell them, look, that's great, but uh, really, you know, we're, we're actually more interested in meeting, you know, anyone in K-12 education, you know, that might invest in, in school programs. Anyone who, you know, works at, you know, a law firm, right? So sure, we do have certainly our, you know, handful of, of students who are, you know, masters or, you know, looking to make master. Um, but a, a bulk of, you know, our clients, you know, at the end of the day, you know, are people that are looking to learn, you know, business and life skills through the game. And, you know, honestly, an analogy I use, you know, all the time is, you know, someone like yourself. You know, your main target market is not, you know, other business attorneys, <laughs> you know, or other right. lawyers, you know, you're looking to meet, you know, a, a much bigger, uh, you know, community, you know, which is look pretty much any type of entrepreneur, you know, or bigger, yeah. uh, you know, business owner that, uh, you know, always has legal stuff, <laughs> you know, to, to, to worry about. So, um, so speaking of which, if anyone does, uh, you know, want to reach out, learn a little bit more about your practice. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Uh, maybe they're, you know, a business coach, you know, with clients or whatever it is. Uh, how, how can people reach out to you? So there are uh, two ways. You can email me at bkern at com. That's my work email. And again, B Kern, K E R N, at Masur, M A S U R dot com. Or you can call me on my secret squirrel phone, which is 917 225 2128. And I also, you can text me on that as well. So either of those, uh, either of those are the quickest ways to reach me. Okay. Well, Bob, really appreciate your time here. Look forward to being in touch. Happy holidays. And Happy holidays. We'll talk to you uh, in the near future. Awesome. Thanks again, Evan. Take care. My brother.